church. Your faithful support through the years is very much appreciated, and it's fruit to your account in the, the old communist Czech Republic, but that's not what it is anymore. It is a fast-moving Western European uh, metropolis, uh, very different than it was, but the best thing is there's an independent Baptist church over there, and there's going to be more in the future. And so we'll be sharing more about the work tonight. Uh, we have video and so forth, and trust you'll be able to be back for that. This morning we're going to go to the Word of God, and uh, it's connected. Uh, we call it biblical evangelism, and uh, you're probably thinking, why a tornado? Well, when you get in the work of doing what the Bible commands churches to do, which is to go into all the world and preach the gospel, there is opposition. And uh, it is furious and strong. And I figured, well, here in Missouri, you probably know what tornadoes are best. All right? Probably don't get many hurricanes up here. All right, They're dealing with that in Florida at this time. But at any rate, the other thing is I don't have a clicker this morning that they're having some trouble with it. So I'm going to be going like this a lot, you know, to move these slides. In fact, you can do that, brother. <laughs> I just wanted to know that so you didn't think I had a nervous twitch or something, okay? <laughs> Doing anything strange up here, all right? But, uh, <clears throat> of course, Matthew 28, um, the, the Great Commission, the Word of God, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Lo, I'm with you all, even unto the end of the earth. So, uh, that's, that is evangelism. That's, that's the whole of evangelism, because it's, it's, it's the gospel. It's the baptizing, which encompasses, of course, the establishing of churches. And then the teaching, which is the ongoing work of a church to uh, train, teach believers, to, to raise them up. And then from those churches to see those called that are then sent and to see ultimately other churches established. And that's the whole pattern. Very simply stated by our Lord in that verse. And uh, to set about in the, our, our, that course is met with opposition. So we're going to look at that for a few minutes this morning and then move on to uh, something else related to that, that uh, some things that we've done over in the Czech Republic that I hope and trust will be a blessing. But uh, so, hey, it works. <laughs> That's power. You just raise your hand and things happen. I like that. <laughs> all right. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 70, verse 9 to 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. We know that verse. You've heard that uh, perhaps many times. Uh, That's the first thing. You know, the work of evangelism, we're, we're going to deal really with the first aspect of that, uh, the Great Commission there. And <clears throat> this is getting the gospel to lost people, seeing them come to Christ and be saved. You know, the gospel really is very simple, but it's not easy, and it's certainly not simplistic. There's a lot that goes on in this, and this is, this is part of it that we have to be aware of. Um, the heart, the heart is deceitful. And so this is what every lost person deals with. This is what we all deal with. Our heart deceives our flesh is going on all kinds of things, thinks all kinds of things, believes all kinds of things. And uh, that has to be sorted out. That's, that's funny. I'm, I'm talking and my hand goes up. <laughs> Everything switches. I better be careful here. But Second uh, Corinthians chapter 4, it can turn over there. Let's not uh, uh, hesitate to, to look at the scriptures this morning. Second Corinthians chapter 4, speaking about the God of this world, of course. But we'll read those few verses. Second Corinthians chapter 4. Verses 3 and 4. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world, Satan himself, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, whose image of God should shine unto them. It's not only our deceived hearts and the deceived hearts of the lost world, but Satan, the God of this world, hath blinded. We're talking about spiritual warfare here. 
And uh, you've got a, a, a blinded, lost condition, a deceived heart. And then you've got the powers of darkness led by Satan himself to, to, uh, 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 to, to cause that blindness and to exacerbate that blindness. And so this is what we're up against. Going into all the world and preach the gospel, the statement sounds, oh, let's go. And we can get romantic visions of, oh, going into parts of the world and preaching the gospel and so on and so forth. And, and, and compassion for people. We can see that side of it. And it's very important to see that. But what's behind that? There's warfare. There's warfare. And so this is why we say, you know, the gospel is simple, but it is not easy. It's not easy for the lost to be saved. And it's not easy uh, for the saved to reach the lost. And so we have to be aware of those things. Now, this, this thing of Satan blinding the minds, well, he does this by deception. Our hearts are deceived. And he, of course, John eight forty four. Jesus said he is a liar and the father of it. Just that, those three, he is a liar. So everything of, of, of satanic origin is deception from the very beginning. That's what the ploy has been. So is it any wonder that the heart of the man is deceived and deceitful above all things? See, they're together. This is a powerful wall of opposition that we face. And of course, the Ephesians 6, 12, and then you tell, we'll go ahead and turn over there. Ephesians 6.12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So we, we, we go to the lost of this world. This is what we see, of course, and we're dealing with them. They see the conditions they're in. We, we hear them and so forth. But, of course, always behind that. What are we really dealing with? But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So this is the warfare. So when we talk biblical evangelism, uh, that's why the tornado's up there, okay? And, uh, but we have tools. We have, we have that which is needed uh, to, to, to do this work. And first of all is the word of God itself. I love Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. And please look at that verse. Hebrews 4, verse 12. <clears throat> Full of metaphors there. And, uh, but those metaphors have a reason and a meaning behind them. Um, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, end of the joints and marrow, and is a, and here's the key, a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So here it is. We have this deceived heart and we have the deceiver who deceives the heart. And that power all arrayed, that that is what we are going out against. And now we have the word of God, which is the discerner. This is how that heart then in its, its, its deception is then revealed, which is necessary for the lost person. And we need to then, as those being sent, as churches go forth and then are sent, and we as, and as churches uh, do this work, then... We, our, our tool is the word of God. So we must be wise in our use of the word of God in reaching the lost. They need it, but just like a surgeon is skilled in his, his trade, or at least you hope when you go in for surgery. I haven't had a surgery in my life, I, uh, but if it ever happens, I want a surgeon that knows how to use his scalpel, okay? I don't want him cutting when, here when he should be cutting there, and I don't want him stabbing when he should be uh, zipping or cutting. And you want... We want to be trained correctly. And so we have a responsibility as God's people um, 
to know the word, to know the word. I mean, it it is a complete (laughs) word of God. It's it's not just a verse here or a verse there. And so to really reach the the, uh, people, sometimes we have to do a lot of work with our two-edged sword that we've been given. And so we need to be wise concerning this. It's very important. Uh, But with this is, of course, next slide, the Holy Spirit. Jesus, what he taught in, in, in John chapter 16 is so vitally important in connection with this concerning the word of God. We have to understand that it's not just, it's not just intellectual. Amen. There are people, and you, you probably know people like this, they actually know the Bible pretty well. But they're lost. And they confound the word of God. They confuse the word of God. They have false ideas and wrong ideas. And yet they know a lot about this book. It's not just intellectual. Um, For the two-edged sword to pierce and then to do the discerning work that needs to take place, this is, of course, the Word of God. This is the author, the Holy Spirit, and it is the Holy Spirit, His power behind the Word, which then does this work. Now, we are the ones called to take it and to open it up and to use it skillfully, but we're powerless without the work of the Spirit of God taking his word and then revealing the heart of man to man. All right, but what Jesus said in John chapter 16, so vitally important. Usually when we talk of the spirit, we're talking about as saved people and the work of the spirit of God. Of course, his regenerating work and his sanctifying work, leading and and all sorts, everything in our Christian life. It's all Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. I mean, Romans chapter 8, that's what it's all about. So we think of the saved. But this verse is so important because it says, Jesus said, and when he has come, referring to the Holy Spirit, he will reprove the world, the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So this verse and what Jesus is saying here to his church, because that's who's gathered with him here the night before he's crucified, he's telling them uh, the Holy Spirit is going to do a work also with the world. So the work of the Holy Spirit is back before the lost get saved and all the way through the Christian life. It's the work of the Holy Spirit from start to finish. But that initial work back here with the lost is vitally important. It must take place if you're going to see conversion, regeneration take place. There must be this work of the Holy Spirit. As Jesus said, the, uh, uh, reprove the world of sin, first of all, of sin. Well, <clears throat> of righteousness and of judgment. Now, here's the problem. We hear about our sin and we can agree with that. And there aren't many people who will say, well, I've never sinned in my life. They'll go along with it. Well, yeah, I've, I've sinned. Well, yeah, and they'll laugh about it or, uh, or just agree with it in a nonchalant way. But here's the problem. What normally is done is, even if a person recognizes, yeah, that's true, intellectually I can see I've sinned, what they do is they're looking around at the world and their sin doesn't look that bad. I oftentimes have had this. One of our, our men that saved over in the Czech Republic, he had used that, he said in his testimony, he always thought of himself as a good person because he looked around at others. Yeah. Oh, he recognized, yeah, there's bad things in my life. So oh, but what about them, 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 them? And of course, the world in general, what's going on in the world today, we definitely can look around and see a lot of trouble. So we don't feel so bad. But this, what Jesus said is not only... Does the Holy Spirit uh, reprove the world of sin? But then he says, of righteousness. So 
That's the righteousness of Christ. Because it's, it's followed in, in verse 10. It says, because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. So what Jesus is saying is, see, I'm not here. I'm the righteousness that you're not going to seize. But the Holy Spirit will do this work with the world. See, that, you may not believe it, but that, I'm sorry. <laughs> stay, stay right there. See, that's my problem. Boy, I throw my hand up. <laughs> you're doing a good job, brother. It's me that's messed up. But that black circle there, that's the same. Let's go back to the previous one. It looks totally different. But it is the same density and, and, and color as the other one. And then we'll go forward again. The only difference is what you're comparing it to. And so that's why Jesus said, you know, reprove a sin, but not just that we're sinners, but here's Jesus. Here's God. Here's the holiness of God. Amen. When that comes into play, it's like, oh, my sin is not okay. I'm like this. And so that's where the next one comes in then which is judgment, which is the third one here. Because what's, what, what can be the result of that situation? It's judgment. So you see that, that that's all tied together to bring the lost person to that point of just, I'm guilty. Amen. And that's in the focus. He has seen his sin. He has seen and understood that his sin is serious and that there's only one possible result in judgment. That person is looking for help. When a person hits that point, they're either going to run from that and, and, and try to hide their minds from, from having anything to do with it because of the conviction, or they're going to run to the help, and that's where the gospel comes in, of course. And uh, <clears throat> so uh, we'll move on. Now we come to a verse in John chapter 3, verse 36. And I want to touch upon this and a statement following in a minute uh, that talks about this. And we want to dissect that a little bit so that we will be very careful and to realize how careful we must be with the scriptures. Now, John 3.36, it's uh, the end, of course, of that wonderful chapter, John chapter 3, which uh, has <clears throat> been such a spiritual blessing to so many to understand just the new birth and Nicodemus. And, of course, what a story. But the chapter ends with this statement. It he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Direct, straight statement. And he that believeth not the Son of God shall not see life. Perfect contrast, clear. All right? But the wrath of God abideth on him, the unbeliever. Now move to the statement here. This is made by a well-known preacher. I'm not going to mention who it is. He's since gone home to be with the Lord. But there's a problem in this that's up here. So you want to talk about this. What makes, this, this, is, this is quoting uh, from this, this book. What makes the wrath of God abide in the person? Believing not. It's in reference here, okay? It's, that's what it says. This one who believes not says the wrath of God abides on him. So, true statement. And then the, the, the logic path that then is taken with this. Since believing not makes him lost, believing makes him save. That sounds good. We're going to come back to it in a second here, though. And then lastly, in order to believe, you have to repent of unbelief. Okay? Uh, the purpose in all of this is ultimately to, to, to steer away from the idea that there is any repentance related to sin. In fact, in Victory in Jesus, we're saying this morning, uh, that one line, I think 
I would forget which verse, but it's, it's right in there. And I repented of my sins. And, but that, that whole concept has become uh, minimized or completely put away, and in some cases, even considered almost anathema and heresy. Well, that's in our day and for, for many years now, that has been a problem. Right? We come back to the second phrase up there. Since believing not makes him lost. The inference in this is that, well, there's, we're not dealing with sin here. We're only dealing with unbelief. Now, an unbeliever is lost. No question about that. But let's take the scriptures and see what the Bible says. Move on next. Ephesians 5, verses 5 and 6. <clears throat> now, these are up on the screen, but notice what it says. No whoremonger nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of God and of, or kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Comes upon the because of what things? Those things that are listed in the, in the beginning of that verse. Can we go back to the verse for a second? And those things, if you, if you look at them, you say, okay, hold on, unclean person, hmm. Yeah, uh, commandment number seven there, and covetous man, oh, yeah, tenth commandment there, idolater, oh, commandment number one, and etc. In other words, the implication, these are lawbreakers. Right. This is sin. And because of these things, the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. And so we'll move on. Ephesians chapter five, verses, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, uh, the picture here, just understand it. So from Ephesians, we see that the wrath of God cometh and the children of disobedience. So now we'll move to the next verse. Colossians says something very similar. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake, sin, the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. So, you see? Establishing the same thing. The reason for the wrath of God coming because of sin, because of sin, because of sin. We'll go on. Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against what? All ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Again, sin. So all of these things stating the same thing. The wrath of God because of sin. The wrath of God because of sin. The wrath of God because of sin. Now, that verse in John chapter 3, 36. Now, very carefully we look at this and it says at the end, the wrath of God abideth on him. What's the word abide mean? If I uh, were to say, I'm coming over to abide at your house, uh, you'd say, well, wait a minute. <laughs> we got enough people in our house already. <laughs> we don't quite have room for you. Because what I would be inferring or meaning very directly is that I'm coming to live in your house. The pastor invited us over today. I hope, you probably hope we're not coming to abide at your house. Right? And, uh, well, if you visit or, or, or whatever, that's not abiding somewhere. In other words, we could say this, it's, it remains, it stays upon them. What this verse is saying, if we're very careful with it then, it, it, the, the first statement is the contrast, very clear. The, 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 the believing, I'm the son, everlasting life, don't believe. Not see life, okay? So the unbeliever has the wrath of God on him. And all it's saying is that that wrath of God is going to stay on him. Well, how long is it going to stay on him? 
Well, it's going to stay on him all the way through to the end unless and if he believes on the Son, saving belief, biblical belief. In other words, he becomes a child of God. It stops. See, the wrath of God cometh because of sin, and it stays until we believe on the Son of God. That's what, when we put all the scriptures together, that's what that's teaching. Not that the wrath of God is only on us because we haven't yet believed. It came on us because of sin. So when it comes to repentance, it connects back to this here, the reason why it is there, the reason why the wrath of God has come upon us. See, until we have come to that realization, which is the reproving the Holy Spirit, using the word of God to discern the heart, the conviction that comes and says, yes, that's me, and I'm lost, and I'm guilty. That is what has to be looked at when it, it's at that point then that the gospel presents itself and is presented to us to which we then respond in belief. It's not, and, and the word repent does mean a change of heart and so forth. So grammatically, we can connect it and say repenting of unbelief. It's, although unbelief is kind of an abstract type of thing in this context. But biblically, it's sin that must be repented of in order to believe. All right? Um, <clears throat> so let's move on. Go forward. A journey called believe. Since believe is so uh, vitally important, we need to have biblical belief. Uh, there'll be a little bit in our video about this. This is actually the title of uh, uh, the series that we have used with, with, with folks and are now producing in a film form. Uh, and as I say, I'll say more about that tonight with the, with the video. But I would like to, just now in the rest of our lesson day, quickly run through what's involved in that study. So there's sections. The first section, it's based on the book of Romans, uh, chapter numbers 1 through 3 primarily, with an integrating of scriptures, uh, of course, from throughout the word of God. But Romans chapter 1 begins, as many of the epistles do, with the name of Paul. (laughs) And in this particular epistle, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God. Paul, that man. And so when we begin in in teaching with people, we use his scripture. And right away, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, asks the question, well, who is he? So we look a little bit at who this man is, and especially what he was. Of course, we know what he was scripturally. Uh, He was the persecutor. He was the zealous Pharisee persecuting the church here in Jerusalem and these believers and seeing some of them put to death uh, in the part of the world where we have been, they've experienced the kind of things that Paul was doing with different regimes. For instance, World War II, uh, the Nazis. There are 70,000 names in the one synagogue over there, people who died in that Holocaust. And uh, those were people taken out of their homes and taken then to camps, first in the Czech Republic, many of them to Auschwitz and on beyond other places. And uh, one particular book called The Survivor's Path, written by Otto Groenfeld, um, he just died recently, but it took 50 years before he ever wrote this book to describe what happened. But 
He was a boy, a teenage boy, in 1942 uh, during the war. And, of course, the, the Czechoslovakia at that time was really the first taken by the Nazis militarily. Uh, Austria was the next, and then uh, Czechoslovakia actually came under the Nazis from 1939 on. And so things were bad there and growing worse, and there was terror and fear mounting all the time. And then, of course, the roundups began. And uh, so he describes that day. Uh, The SS shows up, his apartment, and they bang down the doors. They come in. It's early in the morning. They took his whole family, his mother, father, him, his brother, and they took him to the SS headquarters down in the center of Prague. And uh, he never saw his father again after that day. The rest of his family, they were all killed in the Holocaust. He survived it and was the only one to end up coming back to Prague. And he lived through that. But the reason I share that little story, Paul was doing that. That's what the scripture in Acts chapter 8 talks about them. From house to house, hailing men and women, took them to prison, and then describes as he gave his testimony in various parts uh, what he was doing, zealously doing this. You come to Romans chapter 1 then, and you read Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, that right away. But look down to verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Wait a minute, this is the man that persecuted these kind of people? I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all? It says, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you, for I long to see you. Do you see the heart in him? He loves these people. His life is committed to this. He said, separated unto the gospel of God because the gospel is that message which then brought about this change. When I was sharing this with a man named Gabriel in our church over there, he's been saved now for several years and a member. But when we were doing these studies, I sat there and I presented all this preacher. He just looked at this, he looked at me and he said, what happened to him? (laughs) That was a perfect question. I love it to this day. That's exactly the point. What happened to him? Well, the gospel. <laughs> this is the message that changes life and can change anyone's life. Not just in life here, but eternity. And so everything changed. We move on. And we continue on and it says, concerning this gospel, verse 2, which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And of course, the Bible. What is the Bible? What is this amazing book? Of course, we deal with the various things and so forth of the Bible. But one of them I present, and I, I, I love this aspect of it, Because it really is a proof of the divine inspiration of the Bible. Or at least a proof that this is not some contrived religious book to to lull people in and to make a good sales pitch to get people to follow this line of reasoning. And that is that the Bible is painfully honest. Which you really wouldn't expect if you're trying to kind of like do a sales pitch with people. You don't tell them the bad things about the car you're trying to sell them, all right? But when you read the Word of God, you read Moses, David, Paul, Peter, you name it, whoever you read about. These are the heroes of the faith. And what do you read about them? Well, you read, yeah, great things that they did, faith that they had. And then you read the sin, the failure, the, and all of that. And it's all there. It's all there. You think, Why? Because this is the word of God. This is God saying, this isn't man just writing this and, you know, 
And so it, it's a major difference. And the reason that's important over our part of the world, but really anywhere you go now, but they've lived under lies for a long time. That old regime was nothing but a lie. They lied to them all the time. They told them, by the way, that uh, the, the, the Allies, the U.S. and the Allied troops, liberated the, the western half of Czechoslovakia up to the city of Pilsen. And then the Soviets came in and did Prague by prior agreement. And then once the communism took over in 48, they taught in all the schools the Soviets liberated all of Czechoslovakia. There was nothing to do with the West until after the revolution in 89. Then in the city of Pilsen on the 50th anniversary of the end of the war, they unveiled a monument in the city of Pilsen. It's there today. And on that monument, it says, thank you, America. <laughs> it's a blessed thing to see over in that part of the world. Wow. So they, in English, thank you, America. Because that was the reality. The point is that they were lied to. And so this honesty is a wonderful thing. Anyway, we need to move on quickly here. Uh, the, the word, by the way, is not only the word, but the, the next verse there, concerning his son. The gospel is all about Jesus Christ. It's, it's really more about who than what. <laughs> you really get down to it. And so we deal with that. We say, well, that's kind of premature, isn't it? If you're talking atheists, which a lot of people are over there, no, not at all. How do we learn something? We learn by hearing it and then having it repeated. And it takes time. And I tell folks that. I say, you know, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> I don't do it in a <laughs> mocking way, but you know, that I let them know you're probably not going to believe these things, but here's my challenge. If you will, don't prematurely judge something until you really know what it is about. Amen. So I just ask you to simply follow us through. Continue on this journey with us. Let's go to the end. Make your decision. But once you know the whole story. So I tell them right in front, Jesus is the son of God. He rose from the dead. What's, what's an atheist think of that? <laughs> All right? But they're hearing it. And they're setting the stage because that's what this is all about. It keeps the focus where it needs to be. Well, then we move on. You come down to the, uh, verse 17. Uh, <clears throat> and, of course, in here in verse 16 and 17, it talks about the gospel, uh, which is unto salvation and then believing. Uh, and then the just shall live by faith. So belief, it's all about belief. But you come to verse 18 expecting that now, well, if faith is the key and this is the gospel and you have faith and that makes the change. Okay, we'll put all this together. Let's talk about faith. <laughs> Verse 18, the wrath of God. And you know, from this point on, all the way over to chapter 3, verse 21, you'll never hear anything about belief or faith ever mentioned. That's two chapters. And this is the book all about the, the separate and the gospel of God. Paul is writing about the gospel. This is the Holy Spirit's presentation of the gospel and spends two chapters and never mentions faith, never mentions belief. Talks about some other things. And it goes right along with what uh, Jesus said the Spirit would do. And that is to reprove with sin, righteousness, and judgment. Because that has to take place before the belief. And so we go into this. We follow it down. And <clears throat> we do uh, from verse 20. Uh, uh, we step there with the invisible things from the creation of the world. So we spend some time. We call it the master's touch. Because to really understand this, you've got to go back to the beginning. God created the perfect world and perfect man. And we talk about that. And, of course, the amazing things of creation and the proofs of that, uh, how it shows God, a, a, an aspect of God that people can see just from creation. Not enough to be saved, but they can see that there is a God. Uh, but uh, this perfect world, perfect man, what happened? See, something isn't correct. We have to understand man fell. And, of course, we, we go through that. And then the rest of the chapter, of course, that long uh, descending, uh, precipitous fall 
it just worse and worse and worse. You read through this. I mean, at the end of this, a person just looks at this. Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's mankind. This, this is where this world's at. And they accept that. They say, yeah, that's, that's what this world is. But we come to chapter 2 and it says, <clears throat> it's, it's no longer general. <laughs> it says, therefore thou art inexcusable. Oh, man. That's singular. It's like, no, not just all of them out there, but you and I. So it gets focused here. And of course, the rest of this chapter, it deals with the judgment of God according to truth. It deals with the fact that the, 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 the truth in the law, as it says in verse 20, and then about the day of uh, the wrath and revelation of the judgment of God in verse number 5. And, and then all through this, you've got the law of God mentioned. And this piles up and piles up and piles up. And this, that whole, as we said, what the, what the Spirit reproves man of using the word... To reprove of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's really what these chapters do. It's taking us and mankind, condition of mankind, what's happened, and now us as individuals, and boom, boom, boom. And the conviction begins to set in until finally we come down to uh, chapter 3, verse 19. Now we know that what's things whoever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped. <laughs> People are accused of something, they defend themselves, defend themselves, defend themselves. They keep talking, talking, talking. And then, but finally, if they reach a point where they realize their guilt, what happens is they stop talking. That's the sign that somebody is, you've hit home. And the scriptures describe that so perfectly. That every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become, and there's the key word, guilty before God. See, that's what's going on with this. We call it the road to ruin. and The weight and the balance is, the, is where you're really taking the word of God and everything it's describing about the wickedness of man, the law of God, and what all that entails. And just the entirety of Scripture is pointing that we are guilty, guilty, guilty. And finally, we come to the conclusion we are guilty. Well, what now? Where do you go from here? So, well, that's a, that's a pretty distressing road. Who wants to travel this road? You get to this point, and that's pretty bad. No, because the next one, you say, pictures at an exhibition? <laughs> There's a Russian uh, pianist, or was, Mussorgsky, and wrote a beautiful uh, uh, piano piece that's done by orchestras to this day. It's called Pictures at an Exhibition. And, you know, like an art gallery. Uh, and I use that title for this reason that, you know, as you... As you Go to the Old Testament. Um, the Old Testament is full of pictures. The entire Old Testament system of, of sacrifice, the priesthood, the, the tabernacle, and the temple, it's just in, in the feast days. Those were all pictures, shadows of, of what was to come. And so as we begin to present then the gospel here, what we do is we go back uh, and actually pick up with the Day of Atonement is what we key in on. There's a reason for that. I won't get into all that, but it connects in in a very interesting way. But uh, <clears throat> the Day of Atonement was that day when the high priest, uh, there's two goats involved, but one is sacrificed and his blood is taken by the high priest once a year to indicate that it only has to be done once. And he comes in, there's seven drops of blood put on the mercy seat. And the scriptures tell us that in, underneath the mercy seat was the ark of God, and in that ark were the tables of the commandments given on Mount Sinai. And the mercy seat is above that. 
and the blood is above that. The scriptures also tell us that the manifestation of the Lord in this, the Lord said, it's above the mercy seat, said, where I will meet with thee. Back in the book of Deuteronomy, or in the book of Exodus, that place, where I will meet with thee. So the picture is this. We, We paint this whole picture for people. So picture this, as if God is here, the law is down here, which of course we just spent all this time talking about how the law brings us to the knowledge of sin and the guilt. Boy, when God sees the law, what does he think of us? We're in trouble. But when God looks down, he sees the blood and not the law. So that beautiful picture, we present the picture first. And then we go on to present the reality of that picture, which is, of course, the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of all that. And then best of all, the resurrection. <laughs> the day death died. Amen. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? There is none when Jesus rose from the dead and when the sinner believes on him. When that happens, the journey's end, we call it, is a new beginning. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's what we call a journey called believe. And, uh, but, you know, the, the point is, as we put together what we had at the beginning of the lesson, <clears throat> you say, well, that, that takes some time to do that. Yeah, it does. It does. We've learned we need to be very patient with people. And, of course, people, as, as we have to be discerning. And because uh, people are in different conditions. There's people that right now, maybe there's someone here today that's lost and ready to be saved because you've heard the gospel, you've been under the preacher. There's people that are right there. They're ready to get saved. Then there are people who begin to hear things. And there's people maybe just a little curious. Maybe they're willing to listen. Then there's people way over here. They're, I mean, they're atheists. They don't even believe in God. And, you know, we have to discern that and then wisely use the two-edged sword as we discern so that the Holy Spirit can take the word and then discern for them the condition of their own heart as we bring them to that place where they then can believe. It's a wonderful work. I mean, yeah, the devil and all the powers of darkness are arrayed against us, but we have more than that. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So as we go forth as churches, and we, as, we just happen to be one of those who God raised up out of a church and sent That doesn't make missionaries, pastors any different than anyone else. There's just a place and a purpose of God for each one of God's people. We need to fulfill that because as all of God's people do that, they're operating as one body in a church, and that work then gets done. It's a wonderful work, biblical evangelism. Pastor, I think we'll stop right there. I'm not sure what the time is. Does that look right? Ooh, 